Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm Evan Gottesman. I'm Eli Koaz. I can't believe I'm saying this, but Israel looks like it will have a new government. And for the first time in 12 years, a new prime minister, replacing Benjamin Netanyahu. Yair Lapid just informed President Riven Rivlin hours ago that he had formed a government which will be led by Naftali Bennett, believe it or not. Seems very strange to say, and even now that Yair Lapid has informed President Rivlin of this development, you still have that lingering feeling that it's not over till it's over, but it really seems like things are heading in that direction. And if you've tuned out for the last Israeli election, or three or four elections, you might be wondering, how did Israelis get here? And what does this all mean? Right. So to better understand this, we're first going to walk you back through how Israel's system of government works, how the last four elections since April 2019 have played out, and what Prime Minister Naftali Bennett could mean. I still can't believe I'm saying Prime Minister Naftali Bennett. The man coming into this government with uh, six, possibly five seats in the Knesset, possibly fewer, we'll see what happens, uh, is going to be prime minister. So in any case, what does all of that mean? Let's go back to the real basics. Israel operates a parliamentary government with a system of proportional representation. And that probably all sounds like gobbledygook to people familiar with the American system of government. What this means is that voters cast their ballots for a political party and not for a particular candidate, and then those parties win seats in the parliament or the Knesset in Israel according to the portion of the national vote they win. So if a party wins 25% of the national vote, then they will get about a quarter of the seats in the Knesset. Now, no party has ever won an outright majority of the Knesset's 120 seats. That would be 61 seats to one party. Uh, because no party has ever won a majority, larger parties need to build a coalition, an alliance with other smaller parties, in order to govern. After the election is held, the president of Israel, who uh, is a person who has a largely ceremonial position that is elected by the Knesset, holds consultations with each of the different parties' elected members and solicits recommendations for a potential prime minister. And the different parties can recommend any member of Knesset from any of the parties to form a government, although typically, not exclusively, this is the leader of one of the largest parties, if not the largest party. Uh, the president then gives the person with the most recommendations the mandate to form a government, meaning they are tasked with negotiating with the other parties to get them to join their prospective coalition, meeting out all of the thorny policy issues and things like ministerial portfolios in the cabinet or chairmanships of different committees in the Knesset, and then they can go to try to form that coalition. So the mandate to form a government lasts for 28 days, with the possibility of a 14-day extension. If a candidate is unable to assemble a coalition, the president can then pass the mandate to the individual with the next most recommendations. In this case, it was Yair Lapid. If no candidate can form a government, the Knesset can also vote to dissolve itself and move for new elections. 
This is what happened twice in the past two years, after the elections in April 2019 and the elections in September 2019. A government was formed after the March 2020 elections. You'll remember when Benny Gantz famously broke up blue and white and joined up with Benjamin Netanyahu, but it collapsed and the Knesset voted to dissolve in December, leading to a new election that was held on March 23rd of this year. Recall that through this entire process and this entire political crisis, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is on trial for charges of fraud, breach of trust, and bribery. Um, It was two years ago, or almost three years ago now, in 2018, that Israeli police recommended to indict the Prime Minister, and he was formally indicted uh, the following year, and it was last year when his trial uh, began. It was delayed a bunch of times, but, but, but here we are, and his We are in the midst of his uh, trial with these three uh, different charges. So since the April 2019 campaign, Netanyahu has viewed holding on to the prime minister's office not only as being key to his political survival, but for personal preservation. In other words, he wants to stay prime minister so he can stay out of jail, which I think is an understandable goal. But... Netanyahu was hoping his allies in the Knesset were going to do things like pass legislation that would shield him from prosecution or even cancel the trial altogether. After the April 2019 election, it seemed like Netanyahu had a right-wing majority to form a government. But then, at the last minute, Avigdor Lieberman refused to support Netanyahu's prospective government. Lieberman was someone who was viewed as reliably being in that right-wing block. He leads a secular nationalist party that caters to immigrants from the former Soviet Union, and his opposition was nominally related to a bill on drafting ultra-Orthodox Jews into the Israeli military, something Lieberman's constituents care about. But here's the thing. Lieberman started his career working for Netanyahu. He has served in governments with Netanyahu and with the Haredim, and he once even ran on a joint list with Netanyahu's Likud. So this wasn't just about some religion and state policy squabbling. It very quickly became clear that this was more about Netanyahu himself. And uh, without Netanyahu, it's also pretty clear that there could have easily been a right-wing coalition formed a long time ago. But the prime minister's scandals have really split Israeli politics, not only along uh, the traditional right-left ideological lines, but also the pro- and anti-Netanyahu lines. Uh, Several of the parties that are now aligning against Netanyahu are definitely right-wing on policy. Uh, They have hawkish military positions, and some of them even support West Bank annexation. But they also, and maybe above all else, I guess, want to see Netanyahu out and uh, want to see this endless cycle of elections end uh, more than anything else. And that brings us to where we are now. After the March 23rd elections of this year, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu received the mandate to form a government uh, from President Riven Rivlin, but failed to do so. And yet your Lapid, the leader of the opposition and the head of the centrist Yeshatid party, got the second go-around. 
Um, but in the middle of all of this was uh, Naftali Bennett. And I, we could almost call him Prime Minister Designate, um, the leader of the right-wing uh, national religious uh, Yamina party that will now be a part of this coalition. Bennett, like many of the anti-Netanyahu right-wingers, has served with Bibi Netanyahu before, the man that he is now about to replace as prime minister. Bennett is the son of immigrants from San Francisco. He first made it big in the high-tech sector in Israel. He entered politics initially about a decade ago as part of the Bayit Yehudi party or the Jewish Home Party. That was a pro-settlement list that included some more extreme right-wing figures, uh, for example, like Betzalel Smotrich, whose Takuma faction ran with Bayit Yehudi. Uh, Bennett is a dyed-in-the-wool right-winger, though. He believes in the right-wing principles on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. He was pushing annexation of large parts of the West Bank into Israel before it was cool, or I should say before it was mainstream, because annexation is not cool. Uh, Bennett's proposal on annexation would see Area C of the West Bank annexed, uh, a solution uh, or an outcome that would leave millions of already disenfranchised Palestinians permanently stateless. And he did this years before uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu explicitly supported it during the recent election cycles. But Bennett is also politically savvy enough to know that if he has broader aspirations for leadership in Israel, that he's going to need to reach out beyond his natural national religious base. So to do this in 2019, he started a new party, the New Right. But here's the thing. He then has a brush with complete political irrelevance. Bennett's New Right Party actually won zero seats in April 2019. So this man who two years ago lost his seat in the Knesset and his party wins zero seats is now poised to be the prime minister. But the cycle of new elections that... Uh, came up after Avigdor Lieberman refused to form a government with Benjamin Netanyahu, kind of saved Bennett, and he launches a new party, uh, Yamina. With the onset of the coronavirus pandemic, Bennett has a new opportunity to repurpose himself and again break out of this mold uh, or this perception of him kind of being a single-issue annexation West Bank settlement person. And he adopts COVID-19 as his sort of new signature issue. He even published a book aptly titled How to Fight a Pandemic. And while he is still very much supportive of annexation, uh, doing things like taking on the pandemic have become his priority, at least in his public-facing persona, while his West Bank settlement advocacy has taken a little bit of a backseat. Right. And Bennett ended up with just seven seats in March elections. Now, this hardly made him the largest party, far from it, but it was enough to make him the kingmaker. He was the one who could determine uh, whether Netanyahu or Lapid uh, could uh, secure a majority. And after the March 2021 elections, when President Reuven Rivlin solicited recommendations for prime minister, Bennett actually recommended himself. Lapid was actually willing to sacrifice his ambitions to become prime minister in favor of Bennett. Now, this means that Bennett would be only the fourth largest party in a potential new coalition, would serve as prime minister. 
Now, there have been some roadblocks. Bennett supported this idea, then backed off from it when Israel was in the midst of an 11-day war with Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad. But since the fighting over Gaza ended last month, Bennett has since regrouped with Lapid and last weekend declared that he was seeking to form a government with him. And of course, there have been other things that came up. There was a fight over control of the Judicial Appointments Committee between Labor leader Merav Mikhaeli and Ayelet Shaked from Bennett's Yamina party. And uh, Mikhaeli, I think, very admirably conceded her position in that one dispute in order to achieve the more immediate objective of unseating Netanyahu. Now, that's a very important uh, committee that they were fighting over. This isn't just a technicality, uh, but it seems like for the moment, in order to bring about a new government and finally to unseat Benjamin Netanyahu after 12 years, uh, the different parties were able to come together and they have signed a coalition agreement, meaning there will be a new government. And I have to tell you, this potential government looks wild. You have pro-annexation right-wingers like Bennett and Gidon Saar. You have nationalist Lieberman, centrists like Lapid of Yeshatid and Benny Gantz's Kahol Lavan, leftist Labour and Meretz, and notably you have conservative Islamist United Arab List, otherwise known by its Hebrew acronym Ra'am, which is the first independent Arab party to serve in an Israeli government. And that's just going over their differences on the right-left spectrum over the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. There's also bound to be issues over, for example, uh, LGBT rights, uh, which we know that the United Arab List, Ram, don't see eye to eye with some of the other factions in this government, like, say, Labour, Meretz, uh, or Yeshatid on. Uh, but nevertheless, that is the government that seems to be on its way in with Naftali Bennett at the head as prime minister. So that leaves us with the question uh, that I'm sure is on everyone's mind. What does this all mean? I'll tell you in two words, Evan. I won't. I won't. I actually won't because I am um, still making sense of what happened. Um, it was fascinating to see um, just before midnight a video of Yair Lapid and Naftali Bennett, um, they looked like a couple that had just gotten engaged uh, that were calling their parents, um, but they were actually calling Reuven Rivlin, and Lapid was naming off the parties, um, all the parties that were part of the coalition agreement. And it was, it was just fascinating. Um, who would have thought that Naftali Bennett, Gidon Saar, Avigdor Lieberman, and all these... Uh, MKs uh, would be able to join with the United Arab List, Ram and Mansour Abbas. And this is, remember, this is only three weeks after, um, or just over two weeks after um, the ceasefire with Hamas and also um, the wave of internal violence between uh, Jews and Arabs in, uh, in Israel. Um, something that hadn't happened. And to, to see an Arab uh, party part of a coalition is really a historic moment. Now, we'll get to it in a second, but the chances of this lasting, um, there's definitely a chance, but there are a lot of 
hurdles to overcome. But I think more than anything, this is about a coalition, um, as we mentioned, to replace Netanyahu and also uh, more so, um, especially from the right-wing parties, to end the cycle of endless elections and restore a sense of stability um, for Israel. Um, and this is a time to do it. Now, we'll get to uh, what this government uh, means for uh, a two-state solution, the future of that, the future relationship with the Palestinians, um, where that goes. But uh, primarily, this government will be dealing with internal issues within um, Israel and the focus on uh, healing a country that's been through a lot of political uh, turmoil. Now, much easier said than done because Netanyahu's supporters are obviously furious with Naftali Bennett and with other right-wing parties. Uh, Netanyahu will be quick to label uh, them as traitors and as leftists, um, as he has done uh, frequently in the past. He's already doing that. And you're right that Netanyahu supporters will be furious with Naftali Bennett. I think a lot of Naftali Bennett supporters are furious with Naftali Bennett. Right. Um, you know, they could be forgiven uh, for feeling a little aggrieved, even though I don't necessarily agree with their outlook. Uh, Bennett kind of waffled between the pro and anti Netanyahu blocks. And I think a lot of these people expected that he would facilitate the creation of a new Netanyahu government. Um, So Bennett has taken on a big political risk uh, that is not going to be popular with a lot of his voters. Already we've seen one defection uh, a while back uh, with Amichai Shikli, one member of Bennett's uh, party who has said that he's not going to vote to support this government. Uh, There are reports that another member of Knesset in Yamina uh, near uh, near Orbach could be another potential weak link. So uh, say you lose another member of Knesset, if Yamina is whittled down to maybe just five seats, it's going to be the second smallest faction in the government, ahead of only Mansour Abbas's Ram party. So based on what happens next, uh, Bennett could find himself as a prime minister without a party. Uh, Maybe that gives Bennett some incentive to find more consensus issues and hold the coalition together. Uh, You know, uh, the coalition partners in this nascent government deserve credit for already seeming to address some substantive issues. It seems that, for example, Mansour Abbas uh, has extracted concessions related to the Kamenitz law. Uh, That's a 2017 piece of legislation that cracked down on unauthorized construction, uh, but disproportionately impacted Israeli Arabs, especially in the Negev, uh, among the Bedouin community. And Abbas got an extension on a freeze that was actually already in place to parts of the law, as well as the possibility of future amendments to it. So, you know, as reports come out, we'll see what kinds of substantive agreements and policy objectives this coalition has put in place. Right. Uh, Just two things quickly that I'll mention is that um, we're talking like this is this is finalized and the coalition agreement in in large part is. But this government still needs to be sworn in. It's unclear exactly uh, when that will happen. The deadline for that is June uh, 14th. 
Um, it will likely happen before, but Netanyahu will use this time to do anything he can to sabotage, um, to s- sabotage the agreement. Um, and that, like you spoke about, uh, his best chance is to break up a Yamina and get it to the point where, um, the coalition could barely, would barely have enough votes, um, and would have to rely on the support of even the other Arab party, uh, the, the joint list, um, which is, uh, another story in itself. Um, and they're not a sure thing to support this coalition. It's good that you brought up the joint list, though, because this is another area. I mean, one of the big stories today is uh, Mansour Abbas's uh, Ram, the United Arab List, joining the government. And what about the other Arab parties that are part of the joint list? Ayman Oda actually said today that if it comes down to the joint list, they're not going to be the obstacle that stops this Bennett-Lapid government from replacing Netanyahu. Um, now, the joint list lost uh, a significant uh, portion of its seats in the Knesset, especially after its split with Mansour Abbas. It's now down to six seats, three of which are from Ayman Odez Khadash party, two uh, from the Tal party of uh, Ahmad Tibi, and then finally the uh, one seat for the Balad party. And I, I think that uh, Tibi and Oda will probably uh, are, are a safer bet to support this government, at least to support its swearing in. The government doesn't actually need to control a majority of seats. They just need to pass this vote of confidence and the vote to uh, vote to swear in the government. Uh, but, you know, I think what, how this government fares will also have a really significant impact on Arab politics in Israel. For many years, basically since the creation of the joint list uh, in the lead up to the 2015 election that united uh, four, at the time, four uh, predominantly Arab parties under one list, Ayman Oda, the leader of the joint list, was kind of seen as the standard bearer of Arab politics in Israel and as uh, someone with really big aspirations, uh, but for a number of reasons, both because uh, some of Israel's Jewish Zionist politicians didn't want the joint list in their coalitions and because Ayman Oda didn't want the joint list in these uh, coalitions, uh, you know, they never got that kind of cooperation that really a lot of Israeli Arab voters were looking for. And polls bear that out and show that Israeli Arab voters want their parties to be part of a governing coalition in Israel. So the thing is, if this coalition does well, and if Abbas is able to come home with uh, policy achievements for his constituents, then I think it could be very embarrassing and very damaging for Oda. On the other hand, if uh, the government does not fare well, if it falls apart, if there's a military operation uh, while this government is sitting, then that could, on the flip side, be very embarrassing for Abbas and vindicate Oda's decision to stay out of the government. So that's something that we'll have to watch closely. Definitely. Um, another thing I'll mention on Nathalie Bennett is that you mentioned his voters um, being disappointed and feeling that he's betrayed them. Um, there was a poll done that showed that about 65% of Bennett voters in a poll that was done recently opposed this decision to go for a unity uh, government, um, calling it a unity government. Um, uh, I, I know that would be debated by some, but uh, this government with Yair Lapid and with 
the left-wing parties and the right-wing parties. Um, so it wasn't a popular decision among Yamina voters, but among overall um, the Israeli public, it definitely uh, was the most popular uh, decision, and that's been indicated in polling. And Bennett himself um, saw that if there were to be a fifth consecutive election, he would have a very difficult time uh, passing the threshold, and he, he really lost his support, a lot of his support from the Israeli right. So I think for Bennett, this was an opportunity that he really couldn't pass up on. Um, he'll now have an, a chance to um, really repair a country that has been through a traumatic a few years um, in a political sense, and a country that where there's a lot of healing to be done. If he can do that effectively, uh, he has his work cut out for him. But if he can do that effectively, I think he can be a really influential player in Israeli politics in the post-Netanyahu uh, era. And what this means for Netanyahu's Likud party is a whole other story, because we could talk about that for, for hours, but we'll try to keep it short. Evan, what do you think is next for the Likud? You know, I think what's next for the Likud will dictate a lot of what is next for Naftali Bennett. Um, you know, Bennett and also Ayelet Shaked of uh, the Yamina party both see themselves as potential prime ministers. And, and now Bennett is a likely prime minister or prime minister designate. Um, but they operated through these smaller parties like by Yehudi or the new right. And now Yamina kind of as vehicles to bring themselves to national prominence and then take over uh, the Likud, which is the flagship right-wing party in Israel, um, and assume national leadership that way. And it really is a question of whether the Likud can move on from Benjamin Netanyahu. Even if Netanyahu loses the premiership, he's not necessarily going to lose control of the party. Um, he had a pretty... Uh, bad finish uh, in the Knesset elections in 2006, and he kept the leadership of the party. So this is not a done deal, although certainly his uh, court cases may impact his standing uh, within the party and his ability to continue to lead it, uh, as well as to potentially uh, even run uh, for Knesset again. Uh, but, you know, Likud in the past several years has morphed into a cult of personality around Netanyahu. It's not really a party with a platform. It's a party with a leader uh, or a leader with a party. And, uh, you know, we've seen reports in, in recent days that Yuli Edelstein, uh, another Likud member of Knesset, uh, senior, senior Likud member of Knesset, uh, would run against Netanyahu for the party leadership if Likud is relegated to the opposition, we'll have to see how that goes, if that happens, how Netanyahu stands with his voters, but just by the intensity of the anger directed toward Bennett and some of the other members of this uh, coalition that is taking shape now, uh, I think that Netanyahu's hold on the Likud electorate is still quite strong. And the example of Donald Trump and the Republican Party in the United States actually might be instructive here. Uh, Trump, there really were no consequences for him burning the house down on the way out. And he is still basically the de facto leader 
of the Republican Party, even after losing the presidency to Joe Biden. And whether formally or informally, Netanyahu is going to retain a lot of sway with Likud voters and other right-wing voters uh, after this government uh, takes office, if it takes office. Um, and, uh, you know, that will impact how this government operates and how this government operates uh, will have an impact on Netanyahu's influence. If the government is successful, uh, then Netanyahu will have a harder case with his fear-mongering and scaremongering, but it's been quite potent so far. I mean, uh, when we talk about Yamina voters and uh, Likud voters being unhappy with Bennett and with some of these other politicians, it's not just angry tweets. Uh, we're talking about real incitement. There have been posters of Bennett wearing an Arafat-style keffiyeh in the same vein as the posters that were held up of Yitzhak Rabin, dressed like Yasser Arafat in the lead-up to Rabin's assassination. Uh, Bennett and Shaked and other politicians have had uh, protesters gathering outside of their houses. Meritz's uh, Tamar Zandberg had to leave her home because right-wing agitators were threatening her baby daughter. And that's pretty crazy. Uh, pretty terrible. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head with talking about the just laying out the situation of the Likud party. There are several prominent lawmakers in the Likud that are eyeing to replace Netanyahu, but they've been very loyal to him. Um, I've seen a polling that shows Nir Barkat, the former mayor of Jerusalem, as the frontrunner to replace Netanyahu, but he's been very uh, loyal uh, to Bibi, and we'll see how he decides to navigate, um, to navigate through uh, the next few months and during uh, the tenure of uh, this this government, which uh, which we'll see how long it lasts for. Definitely, no one wants to be the one to unseat Netanyahu as head of the Likud party. And again, going back to that Trump example, you look at the primary field for the twenty twenty four presidential election. You have all of these people who want to take control of the Republican Party if Trump doesn't stay up there. Because again, there is a big political liability to unseating the leader and being the one to take him out. Bennett has already taken on that liability with all of the things that that entails. But, uh, you know, no one else is making these other Likud members do that. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. But Netanyahu's whole cult of personality hasn't just been about Netanyahu as the leader of the right or the leader of the Likud. For Netanyahu, his persona extended to being the indispensable leader of Israel and of being the only responsible custodian of Israel's security and its foreign policy. So I'm curious, Eli, what you think about how this changes uh, Israel on the international stage and also with regard to the Palestinians and the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I think that's really a great question, Evan. Um, the Netanyahu, his 12-year consecutive uh, term, let's say, or uh, tenure as prime minister, um, really was defined uh, in, in many ways um, by the confrontations he had with the United States during the Obama years and the relationship he cultivated during the Trump years, really cementing uh, this bipartisan uh, divide um, within uh, U.S. politics that 
can be uh, that is definitely not something that Israel uh, wants, especially uh, when the party that Netanyahu chose uh, to pick a fight with is um, both uh, in the presidency and in um, both the Senate and the House. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how this new government manages that relationship. I will say that Yair Lapid, who will serve as foreign minister in the beginning, has very good uh, connections and he's worked hard to cultivate relationships uh, with um, members of Congress and senators on, on both uh, sides of the aisle and also with um, those in the, in the Biden administration. Um, we should also note uh, that Israel elected uh, the Knesset today, uh, elected, or yesterday, sorry, elected a new president, Isaac Herzog, who's also a uh, very savvy uh, politician with a extensive diplomatic record, um, maintaining the bipartisan uh, support from the United States. So I think this government will definitely um, improve that situation, but there's a question to what degree. Um, can a government with Naftali Bennett at its head, at least for the first couple of years, with um, Gidon Tsar and with uh, Avigdor Lieberman in a prominent position, can they vocally express support for a two-state solution, which is something that's expected, I would assume, um, from the Biden administration, or at least commit to working towards a two-state solution? Um, I'm not sure. I think that may be a red line uh, for Bennett, at least at, at this point. Um, this also, there's a lot to speak about of Israel um, repairing relationships with uh, countries in Europe that were traditionally uh, close to Israel, whereas Netanyahu took Israel towards relationships with more far, far right governments, such as Viktor Orban's Hungary, uh, the Czech Republic, Poland, uh, with Yair Bolsonaro in Brazil. Um, Netanyahu made a lot of interesting allegiances that I'm not sure uh, this new uh, coalition will be completely comfortable with. So there are a lot of things to watch, and I don't think we can pinpoint exactly where this government uh, will end up, but I think it will be a lot more along the lines of um, of trying to restore bipartisan support from the United States and definitely trying to expand on um, relationships um, that have been uh, important to Israel in the past and also regionally to expand what Netanyahu did accomplish, which was normalization agreements with uh, the UAE, with the Bahrain and with uh, Morocco. And here I would add just a word of caution. There is a lot of potential for real, substantive policy developments under this government. We already spoke about some of the concessions that Mansour Abbas is reported to have extracted from his new coalition partners. But at the same time, I want to say, let's not forget who Naftali Bennett is. And, you know, he deserves credit for being part of this uh, alignment that helped to unseat Netanyahu, although I think a lot of it had to do with being in the right place at the right time with the right number of seats, uh, because as we've said, he doesn't really have 
that many seats. This wasn't a major electoral accomplishment for Naftali Bennett, uh, but he is still a major champion of annexation. And while he may have privately chafed at some of the more extreme positions of his former political partners uh, twice in the last four elections, he ran on a list again that included uh, Bitsal El Smotrich, who is someone with really extreme theocratic uh, beliefs about uh, Israel, Israel's system of government, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So, that's something to take into account. Uh, I don't think that this government is going to make any significant waves with regard to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, but it could serve to normalize some of Bennett's positions. And while he has made things like the coronavirus and the coronavirus response more of his brand, uh, he has not walked back from his positions on annexation. And he has continued to promote those as well, just not as his only issue. And so, you know, when Netanyahu uh, returned to the prime minister's office in 2009, and in the early years of that uh, second Netanyahu government, I think there was a lot of speculation uh, with initially some substance behind it, that Netanyahu was actually a centrist or a moderate who was just hemmed in by political realities and far-right political rivals, and that he could actually be someone to deliver significant progress on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And while you never want to say never, stranger things have happened in Israeli politics, um, I worry that we may see the same kind of analysis come about when it comes to Naftali Bennett, uh, but we'll see how he adapts or doesn't adapt to the political circumstances. Um, and with that, I think that is about as much as we can say on this government uh, or this government to be now. And, and as you have reminded us, Eli, while this is as close to a done deal as you can get, it is not 100% airtight. So we will continue to provide you with resources on the Israeli political developments as they come. Uh, in fact, we are hosting a video briefing tomorrow with two leading Israeli journalists, uh, Barak Ravid and Tal Schneider. That's going to take place again tomorrow, June 3rd at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. And you can register for that online at ipf.li forward slash June 3. That's the number three. And we hope that you'll join us there. Yalla bye.